Hello, I'm Ken Bruce. I appeared as a guest on My Time Capsule, and after that I had to give up a job I'd had for 46 years. <sighs> anyway, they want me to tell you that they've started a thing called Acast Plus, where for a small monthly fee you can get the podcast ad-free. For me, I think the ad's are the best thing in it. That Fenton Stevens, he does drone on a bit. Anyway, whatever you like, do something and have a go at it. ACAS Plus, my time capsule. Thanks, Ken. Charming. Anyway, to get my time capsule ad-free and for a bonus my time capsule, the debrief episode every week, subscribe to ACAS Plus. Details in the description of this episode. Thanks. Bloody Ken Bruce, what a cheek. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where I talk to people about the various things that they would like to put in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and would like to preserve for good, and one thing that they rather regret, something they would like to see buried in the ground so they never have to think about it again. My guest in this episode is the actress Bridget Forsyth, who, even after all this time and all the work she's done in her career, is probably still best known for playing Thelma Ferris in the BBC comedy Whatever Happened to the Likely Lads. Bridget studied at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, where she won the Emile Littler Award, and quickly established herself on television in such shows as The Glamour Girls, Tom, Dick and Harriet, The Practice and Boone. She's also appeared in Doctor Who, The Bill, Dr. Findlay's Casebook, where she got to use her natural Scottish accent, Wycliffe, Poirot, Jack and Ori, Dangerfield, Murder Most Horrid, Playing the Field and Coronation Street, as Ken Barlow's escort agency client, Babs Fanshawe. What a great name. In 2002, Bridget was the subject of This Is Your Life and, more recently, has been in Still Open All Hours. This whilst also appearing on the stage in such shows as Calendar Girls, Alan Bennett's People and Single Spies, in which she played the Queen. Bridget played the cello from a young age, and it led to her being cast in the lead role of the cellist, Beatrice Harrison, in the play Cello and the Nightingale. Bridget has Parkinson's, but, as you'll hear, Bridget is still the cheeky, intelligent, funny and wonderful woman she's always been. I hope you enjoy hearing the things she would like to reserve in a time capsule. I certainly did. It's not picking you up. Great, yep, I can see that. You're not being picked up. So, Bridge, yes. you're going to be on these bad boys. OK. Ready? Yes. Um, 
Can you hear Michael all right? Hello, Bridget. How are you? Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm very well, actually. How nice of Carl to come up there. Isn't he a sweet man? Well, yes, because we haven't seen each other for over two years, Carl, have we? Yeah. I think he's going to listen in. OK, I'll just check that Carl is recording at your end. Carl, are you recording at my end? So I'm recording at your end. <laughs> so, yes, you'll, you'll, you'll just have you, you'll have Bridget's end clean. Let's not make end-of-the-peer jokes about recording at my end. Thank you very much. It's <laughs> enough of that. <laughs> yes. OK, brilliant. Bridget, I'm really delighted to have you as a guest on my time capsule. It's taken us quite a while to get this sorted out, hasn't it? Yes, I know. I began to think we were never going to do it. <laughs> but here we are doing it, I hope. Here we are, through the wonders of technology <laughs> and also the assistance of our mutual friend, lovely Carl Prekoff. Oh, yes. Always a help. Yes. So we're going to talk about five things that you've chosen yeah. from your extraordinary life. Yes. Uh, that you'd like to put into a time capsule. Right. So what's your first thing? Well, my first thing is to do with snorkelling. Good. Because I was lucky enough to go to an island called Velidu, which is one of the Maldive Islands. Mm. And um, I'd always heard about how marvellous the swimming was in these places, but I had no idea what I was in for. And I just found it completely magical. And I actually spent two and a half hours in the morning swimming around this island and two and a half hours in the afternoon doing the same because <laughs> it was like being in a giant aquarium. Yes. And I saw these wonderful, wonderful fish. I, and I still dream about it. It was just a magical, magical experience. And I didn't know, but you're supposed to always go with somebody. But I didn't. I didn't know about that. So I could have been eaten, but I wasn't. Because <laughs> various things would come up from the depths to have a look at you. But it, it was just terrific. When was this, Bridget? Um, it was about 15 years ago, I think, poss mm -hmm. possibly longer, actually, my first visit. I went to another island, and I've travelled vastly. So... Were you an experienced snorkeler then when you did this, or was this the first time you did well, it? Well, I'm an experienced swimmer. I've always swum. I love swimming. It was my favourite thing. So I'd swum until I was blue in the face. Mm. And any, any time there was any chance of any snorkeling, I always did it. But I had no idea that it was going to be like this, where the minute you got into the water, there were endless scenes of marvellous things to watch. <laughs> it, it was just like some sort of wonderful film. Or the, you thought, oh, What's that, for goodness sake? Some fish that was purple, yellow, orange and something else mm. would swim up to you and have a good look at you <laughs> and then swim away, you know? Well, I do know, but I have to say I'd be slightly concerned about something rather large with big teeth coming up to say hello. <laughs> yes, I know. I don't know why I wasn't, because I'm concerned about those too, having seen jaws and everything else to do with sharks. Yes. But I never gave it a thought. I'd presume there wasn't a great white shark waiting in Velidu. But there could have been a smaller shark, could have come up and had a nibble. But I was just lucky that they didn't. So the Maldive Islands, they're quite shallow, aren't they? Is that coral all around? This island is made of coral. It's an atoll. Ah. So what you do, you get to the edge and then you, you're, I was swimming around the outside of it. Mm. And it was, it was quite a comparatively small island. So you could do that. 
She's just wonderful. So you did a circuit in the morning and then a circuit in the afternoon. I'd have a lovely lunch and then do it again in the <laughs> afternoon. I, I couldn't believe that it was happening to me. And then I went on a separate trip there to see manta rays. Now, they are quite dangerous, manta rays, aren't they? Well, apparently they're not, but they look as though they are. Right. For God's sake, it's a great thing like a bloody blanket. Yes. And you know, it's got these extraordinary eyes that look like they're on sort of telegraph poles. I mean, it's just extraordinary. And you see it coming for you with its mouth open and you think, yes, it'll have me. Mm. But but no, they're completely harmless. Well, didn't that Australian naturalist... That was a stingray. A stingray. He must have bumped into it or done something because yeah. they wouldn't attack you anyway. No, no, I think it was an accident. Yes. But a dreadful accident. So a manta ray, they've got those huge mouths, haven't they? Huge and. When I got into the water, there were a lot of other people on this same trip. They all rushed off because the, the guy who was taking us said, oh, there they are, and pointed. And they got ahead of me. And I thought, oh, I won't see one, never mind. So I got in to follow them. And about four of these manta rays came to have a look at me. <laughs> and I remember doing the typical actress thing with my head, face underwater saying, hello, darling. Which <laughs> <laughs> is so camp and stupid but they were just so lovely and they were obviously coming to have a look at me uh. it was just wonderful this was just snorkeling i did do scuba diving once and i nearly had a heart attack i found it so scary mm. because once you get down deep i didn't like the feeling of all that water above me no and i did panic actually i that was very bad i only did it once but snorkeling, you're in charge because you're on top of the water. Of course. And if you get tired, you can just lie on your back and swim or, or come out. I've always found that you get so fascinated by what's happening yes. that you quite often go deeper than you should, don't you? You think, so I'll just go yeah, and have a look yes. at this little thing here. And then you think, oh, hang on a second, it's quite a long way back up. That's quite right. That's the trouble with it, I think. I mean, because as you rightly said, I mean, there could have been... Sharks, you know, mm. but it never, never crossed my mind. <laughs> no, too beautiful. Too beautiful. The whole thing was just magical, mm. magic, and warm water, you know, having been brought up in Scotland <laughs> in freezing water. Yes. To swim in water like this was just wonderful. Well, I'm not surprised you treasure it. Yes. And also that you dream about it. Yes. That must be a very pleasant dream. It's lovely, yes. You think, I don't want to wake up. I'm afraid I do quite a lot. Mm. <laughs> I thought I must put that in the time capsule. Yes. What a lovely thought it is, I think, that eventually you can have one of those dreams and then that's the one that just carries on. If there is an afterlife, I'd like to think it was that. Yes. It was that some pleasant thought you get attracted by yes. just takes you away. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it just? I hope it's going to be like that. Yes. Whatever it is. Lovely. All right, well, we will put snorkelling then. Snorkelling in the Maldives into the time capsule, and I am so jealous. <laughs> at the moment, I'm sitting at home with COVID. Oh, gosh. And the idea of diving into warm water and swimming down and looking at those things. Yes. Although I have to say, the thing I most enjoy about snorkelling, and this may say something about me, Bridget, is that when you come out of the water, you do that great exhalation of breath and blow the water <laughs> out of your snorkel. <laughs> oh, yes. Like a blue whale. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Brilliant fun. Okay, lovely. So that's the first thing you're going to put in there. That's the first thing. Great. Now, the, the next thing I have to mention is having children because I never thought I would because oh. I had them quite late. How late was that? 
Well, not that late, but comparatively late. I was 37 when I had Ben Mm -hmm. and 39 when I had Zoe. But that is quite late, isn't it? It is quite late, yeah. I remember having a conversation with an actress friend who was a little bit older and she was talking about it, saying she was just becoming terribly famous so she didn't think she could take time, you know, to Mm. stop and have babies. And and I said, oh, you must do it. Just, you know, get your mother and your aunt living with you. They'll be the baby sisters. Yes. You must just do it. Gave all this advice. Then I went back home and I thought, wait a minute, what about me? You know, I'm 35, 36. Don't you want to have babies? I thought, yes, I do. Mm. And that sort of a thunderbolt, really. Yes. Anyway, I was terribly lucky and I got Ben and I got Zoe, two amazing children. Yes. And I've got grandchildren now as well. Oh, how brilliant. Three, three from Ben and one from Zoe, which was quite late on. That lovely baby is only a year old. Anyway, <laughs> this is utterly brilliant to have all that. It is brilliant, isn't it? Yes, I have four grandchildren. Have you? It's the joy of my life, yeah. absolutely. How old are they, Michael? Mine go from nine down to five. And to me, that's astonishing. I can't believe that yeah. none of them are still babies. I know. That's the bad thing about having children. Mm. It's because they make you aware of time all the time. Yes. Although it has to be said that at that age, 37, and as a working actress, it would be time that you had to take out of your career, was it? It was, but I was terribly lucky, actually, because I got the most marvellous nanny, a wonderful lady called Jo, who was adorable, and I was lucky enough to get her. My husband was a television director, Mm -hmm. and I was doing a lot of television at the time, but I couldn't have done any of it without her. She was giving them such a good time Mm. that when I came back, it was almost disappointing, I think, (laughs) you know, because she she was such a a marvellous mother to them. Yes, that's a real boon then, isn't it? Because, you know, I mean, I know people who've had children and then put their careers on the back burner, as it were. Yes. And it is a problem for women, I think, because men very rarely do it. They will have children, but they carry on, whatever. Yeah, I know. Well, the great thing was it was... That was when I was getting mostly television, thank God. Yes. Because that was much easier. Mm. You know, it was short stints. You'd go and do an episode and then you'd have the weekend. Yes. Say six episodes of something wasn't too massive a chunk of time of your life, you know? No. And you'd only probably have the recording in front of a studio audience that would be an evening thing. So, in fact, you were putting the children to bed. That's right. Yes. What I didn't do was theatre. Right. Because theatre is totally demanding and a different thing. I couldn't bear to do theatre during that time, so I didn't do any for seven years. Right. And then when I went back to it, I was doing a play with Tim Brooke Taylor called You Must Be the Husband, and we got to Buxton, and Ian Talbot, the director, said, well, Wednesday's the night of the signed performance for the deaf Bridget. So I said, oh, yes, when's the signed performance for the legless then? You know, (laughs) thinking they were sending me up. (laughs) And everybody realised that I didn't believe it. And Tim said, look, there really is, you know, that's... I said, oh, yeah. So is that something that had been introduced in the period that you'd been away from theatre? Yes, absolutely. In that seven years, signed performances for the deaf came in. And I didn't believe it. (laughs) Into my dressing room on the dreaded night in question came a lovely, what was he called? Henry Llewellyn Jones, a Welsh signer who was delightful. He came in and he said, hello, I'm your signer for tonight. 
and I could feel my diaphragm going then. <laughs> Even the thought of it, I thought. And I said, look, I'm not going to be able to do this. You can't do this to me. He said, you won't know I'm there. You will have no idea I'm there. Don't worry about a thing. Well, the play opened with me in, in my own kitchen, getting ready for a party because I've written a successful novel. It was going to be a party. Mm. And the signer was standing in my kitchen beside me. And I was giggling then. <laughs> and then the first line of the place, Tim rushes on out of the shower, jumps on a stool, and I say, spider in the shower. <laughs> anyway, Henry Llewellyn Jones did a wonderful imitation of the spider. And Tim just fell on the floor and came. It was awful. <laughs> we laughed and laughed. And I've never caught like it. Oh, no. It was just terrible. <laughs> anyway. Because normally people go well to the side, don't they? They go almost sort of right next to the proscenium arch. I think he did it on purpose. I think he did it <laughs> because he knew what it <laughs> But I've seen some really magical things done by signers during performances Almost off-putting, as you say, because it's so beautiful. They get better lit than we do. <laughs> yes. And, and they're having such fun, you know. Yes. But they rather steal the thunder, you know. <laughs> Nobody's watching you. I feel they're watching the signer thinking how clever it is. Yes. You think, well, there's a speech coming up, which is so complicated <laughs> and so fast. It took me a month to learn it. You're never going to get this across. And then you'll get to the end of the speech, and about two seconds after it, they finish and get a round of applause. Yes, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's extraordinary, isn't it? That sums it up. The most beautiful signing I ever saw was in a production of Amadeus, where the signer not only signed what Salieri was saying about the music of Mozart, oh, yes. but then also signed the music. Oh, how wonderful. It really was oh, wonderful, I'd yes. I'd like to have seen that. Yes, Gosh. So I think we have to say that their their skills are extraordinary. Extraordinary. Yes. I don't have any problem with that. It's just that when they're competing against you trying to do a play. <laughs> and making you giggle left, <laughs> right and centre. And making you giggle yes. dreadfully, which I must say I have a problem with anyway. I've been threatened with a sack about three times for laughing. It's always been a problem. Really? Well, yes, because... Things just happen. <laughs> and also, if actors know that you're prone to it, they will not help. <laughs> you know, they'll do something or they'll point out something yes. or a door won't open. I mean, there's endless possibilities. <laughs> I'm very prone to that. And lovely Tim Brooke Taylor as well. Oh, he's a dreadful giggler. <laughs> dreadful. Yes, yeah, sadly missed. Yes, I know. He was one of the first people that I heard of to die of COVID, which was... Just awful. I, I couldn't believe he had died of COVID. I couldn't believe it. Um, somebody, I didn't hear it on the news when somebody rang and told me. I didn't believe it. No. And I, I rang Christine, his lovely wife, and I just, just awful. Mm. I still can't believe he's gone. No. It was because of him that one of the other things I want to, I was going to get onto it later, was the Derek Nimmo tours. Yes. It was because of Tim that I got to go on those because that same play, when we got to Croydon, he invited, he said, you know, this would be perfect for Derek to take. And I, I'd heard about these tours. I thought they sounded dreamlike. Mm. And I thought, well, I'll never get, get one of those. That would be far too good to be true. Anyway, he got Derek to come to Croydon and Derek thought it was a brilliant idea. 
So that's how I came to go on the first of four tours I did. Oh, wow. To 16 different countries. Yes, I think we ought to explain to people, if they don't know, that Derek Nimmo used to organise tours around, well, I suppose there were places that had a lot of um, expats in them, didn't they? It was the Far East, the Middle East, and he had an arrangement with British Airways that we would travel first class, excuse me, (laughs) you know. So you were flown out there. You stayed in a five-star hotel with all the, that implied, all the food and everything. It's mm. just magic. I, I used to pinch myself every day to believe I was there. <laughs> and then perform the play at night in the ballroom to expats who were all pissed out of their brains, of course, because <laughs> it was a, a, a four-course meal yes. with lots of booze. And then people would drop, they'd fall on the floor and things. It was, it was wonderful, absolutely <laughs> wonderful. And 16 different countries. Which countries did you go to? Well, well, the Far East was Thailand, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Singapore. That was the Far East. Mm. And the Middle East, I went to Jordan, Abu Dhabi, Egypt. I've been to Petra, you know, absolutely places you, again, you dream about Mm. that one probably would never have got to. And on top of that, you were paid, excuse me, paid to go. (laughs) <laughs> it's absurd, isn't it? <laughs> it was. And still people moaned, Michael. I don't know what you find, but if people are going to moan, it'll always be actors. <laughs> One of the actresses I used to work with said, oh, I do I do miss home. Oh, I couldn't eat another prawn. Oh, God, you know. <laughs> and they moaned. Please, no more caviar. I couldn't take another yes, bite. exactly. Don't you find that actually it's nearly always when people are in the most privileged position that they moan? It's people who are making yes, a major film. That's if right. you're a, you're the lead in a film, or or you and you're getting every luxury, and you're staying in beautiful Winnebago's, yes. and people bring you food and drink all the time, <laughs> they moan like Billio. Extraordinary! I never can get over that. You think? Do you not realise where we are? Yes. What's the matter with you? But they do. I mean, to an extent, it's something that actors should always remind themselves of because there's hardly an occasion where, as an actor, you're in some situation which is unbearable or even unpleasant. Exactly. We're so lucky. Yes, particularly with those Derek Nimmo tours, which I never got to do, I'm sad to say. Did you? Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry you didn't because, well, can I tell you about one story? Please do. That, yes. this, is, this is another capsule memory. Okay, we have to rudely interrupt my delightful guest, Bridget Forsyth, in order to play you some adverts. But fear not, we shall return in the flick of a lamb's tail. See you in a sec. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Welcome back. Right, let's get straight back to Bridget to discover what else she treasures and the one thing she would like to bury in the ground and forget. Well, it was the second one I did, and it was with Kim Hartman and Robin Nedwell, mm-hmm. a three-hander. And we were in um, Kuala Lumpur. And Kim and I went off to somewhere called John Templar Park, which was one of the places to visit. And when we got there, it was some sort of holiday, so there were no guides that day. They said, oh, it doesn't matter. It just followed the path. You just follow the path, and you walk for a bit, and then you get back to the car park. <laughs> where your driver will be waiting for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we set you know, dressed in sort of sandals and shorts, you know. And it was all fantastic. And the noises of animals was amazing from the very beginning. And it got more and more as we went on. It also got rather muddy <laughs> and it's a bit squelchy. And it was getting a little bit, because we didn't see anybody else there. So we kept walking and then really quite scary noises. You thought, what the hell's that? (laughs) Anyway, after about an hour of not getting to the car park, we found three workmen, and they were appalled to see us and said, what are you doing? We said, well, we're we're going to the car park now. We're out on the walk, (laughs) and we were off the track. (laughs) Anyway, they were so alarmed, they took us back to the car park. Oh, bless We had leeches on us. Wow. And I discovered that in that jungle there were tigers, quite big monkeys, crocodiles, and God knows what. (laughs) And we could easily have been eaten. (laughs) It's just extraordinary. I wonder if a performance has ever been cancelled for that before. I'm afraid this evening's (laughs) performance, the part of Josephine, will not be played by. She's been eaten by a tiger. Exactly. I think it's wonderful when people in those situations who are used to somewhere suddenly come across these idiots like, well, you wandering through a jungle. (laughs) And I've done it in, well, doesn't sound quite as frightening, but I was in Palermo and I arrived on a very late flight with my wife and then we drove off trying to find the place we were staying in and got completely lost (laughs) and found ourselves in a suburb of Palermo next to the industrial estate where I think tourists are really, really discouraged from going to. (laughs) And I stopped behind a dust cart And in sort of broken Italian and mostly English and sign language, I explained that we were looking for a hotel, showed them the name of it. And these dustmen stopped doing what they were doing and drove us about half an hour to our hotel. (laughs) We followed a dust cart to this hotel. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it, that they took the trouble to do that. I know, because we were just two silly women and we were sort of giggling, you know, (laughs) because I thought it was all right. But we were slightly alarmed by the sounds we were hearing. 
I thought, well, that doesn't sound a very small thing. I wonder what it is. <laughs> and ants, some huge ants crossed the path at one. I mean, I don't know what we were thinking of. It was just extraordinary. <laughs> and you hadn't noticed the leeches? No, we hadn't till we got back. And I had about three on my leg. And Kim had them as well. Mm. I mean, you know, pretty scary, yes. really. But apart from that, these tours that Derek Nimmo organised... Well, phenomenal, phenomenal. Mm. I dream most of the time about swimming in the sea in the Maldives and the Derek Nimmo tours, because mm. they were so great. Well, I'm very jealous. First-class flights, five-star hotels, and you get paid. I know. Ridiculous. And you're always being invited to lunches and dinners. Yeah, and taken out on yachts and things. I mean, <laughs> it was just, it was, you, couldn't, you couldn't make it up. No. You know, so suddenly some, a dentist or someone in Dubai would go, I'll take you into the jungle, you know. He'd take us in a jeep and we'd find rock pools and things and he'd have champagne in, in a bag. It was, it was absurd. Mm. Absurdly good. Yes, absurdly good. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's put it into the time capsule as well then, along with your children. Yeah, and my grandchildren. Yes. So how many is that? That's three we've done. Three? Yes. So we have two more. Two more, right. This is connected with laughing. Um, Kate Winslet's first job was a, a, a thing I did called Dark Season, which was Russell T. Davis's first script. Mm. And it was a children's serial, tremendously exciting and I was playing a teacher in it called Miss Maitland. And I had to drive a JCB at the end of it to save the day. And they learned me to drive a JCB, good old BBC, which was huge <laughs> fun. And it was terrific. We were on location all the time. And Rosalie Crutchley and Cyril Shapps and people like that were in it. It was terrific. Anyway, Kate Winslet was utterly delightful. You know, you could see she was going places because she was so beautiful. Yes. She was 15 at the time. And really good, wasn't she? She's been really good right from the start. Absolutely. Yeah. She, a light. She got a light in her. Yeah, know? yeah. And um, she said to me, you don't laugh, do you? You know, what shall I do about laughing? And I made this terribly pompous speech. I said, <laughs> well, do you know, as you get older, one can control these things, you know. <laughs> you don't laugh anymore. You know, it's, it's your job and you've been doing it for years. I made this unbelievably pompous speech to her. She <laughs> said, oh, thank you very much. Anyway, the next scene, <laughs> talk about being hoist with your own petard, was with the baddie in it who was played by the wonderful Jacqueline Pierce. And she had loads of henchwomen around her who were wearing blonde wigs, Bermuda shorts, and dubious acting ability, I have to say. That's a bit mean, but it was. And I had a scene with her, and I had to go on. I hadn't I didn't seen any of these people. One of the henchwomen said, Miss Pendragon is on her throne. And she did a sort of German accent over a Dutch accent and spat as well. And I just I I was too much for me. I fell on the floor and wept. And everybody said, What is it? So I had to invent something immediately. Well, that happened three times. And the third time, people are never quite so amused. No. And one of the actors said, I'm so glad you find me so amusing, darling. She said bitterly. It was awful. Oh, Lord. Yes. And Kate Winslet said, I thought you said you didn't laugh. <laughs> and I said, well, that's what you get for being pompous. Yes. <laughs> and that was one of the memories I thought worth taking. Yes. In case you get pompous. Well, it, it happens to all of us. But very difficult if, in fact, the thing you're laughing at is somebody's acting ability and you can't tell them. I know. It's dreadful. 
serious. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Anyway, so that's another one. Mm. And then one of the main ones I want to come up with was my good fortune to be in Calendar Girls, not because of the part I was playing, but because of the people I met on it, including the wonderful Carl Prekop. <laughs> who is a friend of yours and a friend of mine. Yes. And in Calendar Girls, I was playing the woman who was in charge of the girls, which was very boring. I didn't <laughs> want to do it. And I nearly turned it down. My agent said, oh, it's high profile, darling, and all that mm. language they use. So anyway, thank God, thank God I decided to do it. I've always played the cello for a long time. And I had the cello in the dressing room I used to play. And Carl shared a dressing room with the other boys in Calendar Girls. And they all sang and they knew that I played. And gradually we got together singing and playing. Yes. And started doing gigs. And it's, that's been such a wonderful, wonderful part of my life. So I, I want to take that with me. What was your group called? The Fur Cones. <laughs> the Fur Cones. We played all over the place. We played the 12 Bar Club in London. Lots and lots of different pubs and places. It was just such fun. Wonderful. And you don't often think of the cello as being part of a folky rock band, do you? I know, I know. I remember when Gary Lilburn first came and said, do you want to come and have a strum with this bridge? I said, oh, it won't work. You know, cello no. doesn't work like that. And of course, it, and it did. Mm. It did work, and that was so wonderful. Well, it's such a beautiful sound, isn't it, the cello? Oh, marvellous sound. When did you start playing the cello? I started playing the cello when I was nine mm. and played till I went to Rada, then I firmly gave it up because I didn't think it was cool to play <laughs> the cello, which it wasn't very then. I associated it with what, hairy legs and white socks, and, <laughs> you know, not very interesting at all. So I, I gave it up. And then I got left a cello by my aunt, which was rather a good one. So I felt guilty, so I thought, I might, well, I must play it. Mm. So I took it up again. And then I did, this actually leads to another one I want to take with me. Oh, right, OK. Tell me about being at RADA then. Oh, being at RADA? Yes. That's where everybody said, oh, you're no Bridget. She's always got her legs apart. And they said, it's only because <laughs> she's playing the cello. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, now I know what they were saying. <laughs> <laughs> We've all heard the rumours. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I gave it up, Rod. Yes. Anyway, I was leading into something to do with the cello. Oh, yes, they did This Is Your Life. They did my This Is Your Life, which was the most extraordinary thing. I still can't believe they did that. That was Michael Aspel, wasn't it? It was Michael Aspel. And... How they got me, they said they were going to do this play about Beatrice Harrison, this cellist that was Elgar's favourite cellist mm. of the 20s. And I'd done a play about her at York, which was should have been a wonderful experience, but it wasn't because of the director, actually. I'm going to say that openly. Mm. She was dreadful. <laughs> um, and I had a terrible time on it. But at least I practised and practised and was blue in the face. So I could play. Mm. So how they got me down for the This Is Your Life, my agent said, they're going to do the play about Beatrice Harrison. I said, but they've done it. So they're going to do it again. And she said, also, they want to film you playing the cello. Isn't that lovely? So I thought, oh, right. Huh. Of course it was. I didn't know. <laughs> and there was a nine-man film crew waiting to film. It was just extraordinary. And in the middle of that, Michael Aspel came and tapped me on the shoulder. Wow. It was just extraordinary. And yeah. And again, oh, it was wonderful. 
Yes. The work that had gone into it and who they got there. And who was the person that they got that surprised you the most? Well, I was people like Elizabeth Spreak from a, a lovely thing I did called um, Playing the Field. Yes. Which is just my favourite part of all time on telly. I loved it. And Rick, Ricky Tomlinson came and did a lovely bit. And Tim did, Tim Book Taylor. And it was, it was a wonderful thing. And I was so humbled, actually, mm. that they did it for me, you know. It was super. Elizabeth Spriggs, who was a formidable lady, came on and made a great speech about me. She, it was wonderful. What a fantastic thing. I always think it's extraordinary when friends even just turn up for a surprise party. Yes. But to turn up for a television thing exactly. like that. Exactly. Yes, I, it was amazing. Really amazing. Well... No more than you deserve, Bridget. So we've got um, one final item to yeah. put in there, something that you want to, uh, well, forget about. <laughs> well, it's something called the Alexander Principle, which was something I came across when I was about 30, which I was put on to by my singing teacher because I was so nervous. I used to suffer dreadfully from nerves. And the regret is that I didn't find it sooner because I lost several quite big opportunities to do things like mm. Fiddler on the Roof. And, you know, at one time, things might have got bigger for me, you know, but I was too nervous. Really? And I, I would blow interviews and things. So my regret is that I didn't have that sooner because that changed my life. What does it involve, the Alexander Technique? It's such a simple thing. It's a relaxation technique. Mm. It sounds ridiculous. They tell you to lie on a table. <laughs> Hello? You lie on a table with your head on a couple of books and somebody holds the back of your neck and says, release the neck, back to lengthen and to widen. And you, you're lying there doing that. And that, just that, has the effect of completely transforming the way you think. Mm. I, I don't know how it works, or I just know that it did work. I started getting work and interviews were different. It was, everything stopped being so scary. It was amazing. Yes, it is fear that stops you doing so many things, yeah. isn't it? Actually, yeah. even if you try and you think to yourself, there's nothing to be frightened of, there's nothing to be afraid of, I'm perfectly capable of doing this thing. Yes. Nerves can overtake you at any time, can't they? Absolutely, and they did with me. I mean, I remember going up for Fiddler on the Roof. I was ideal for that. I got long black hair and I'd just done a musical. Mm -hmm. And Mary Selway, the casting woman, she thought I was great, you know, and... Yeah. She obviously said lovely things to the director about me. Well, I arrived just frantic at the interview, uh -oh. frantic. And I saw her face crumble. I couldn't do it through fear. Mm. It was terrible. And that happened on several things. There was something else I regretted, which I must tell you about, and you can always cut it, was trying to strangle somebody, an actor I worked <laughs> <laughs> which I didn't talk about because I thought it was unfair. At least you didn't slap someone at the Oscars, but uh, why did you <laughs> well, try and strangle them? Do you want to name who it was? Well, we'll probably cut it. If, uh, then don't name I, him. I think it's better if I don't. But I can tell you that two other people equally were found with their hands round his throat. <laughs> so I, was, I wasn't the only one. <laughs> I mean, to be driven to do that must have been pretty infuriating, you know? Uh. Well, I think if there were three of you who did it, then he deserved it. Yes, exactly. And somebody else kicked him in the balls. <laughs> every, every time I mentioned his name or talked about him, you went, oh, you know, and just reacted. So it's, it's not me, is it? Michael, don't be ridiculous. <laughs>
I can well, I can tell you it is. It was the thing that I'm most famous for is the Langley Lads. Mm. That's when I got known. Yes. Well, it was one of them. Right. Well, I've worked with Jimmy Bolan. Who's lovely. Who's lovely. Yes. So I think we've said Good enough. <laughs> I think that's enough. <laughs> He's dead. And I didn't kill him. No. So I think we better let him rest in peace. Yes, indeed. And I think I should let you rest as well. Yes, okay. It's been really lovely to talk to you, Bridget. Really lovely. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you so much for taking such care. All right, Michael. All the best. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my wonderful guest, Bridget Forsyth. Please do subscribe to this podcast before you leave so we can tell you about each new episode as they're released. We'll also send it to you. You may also wish to rate the show and possibly even leave a short review. That's up to you, but we're always grateful for the effort. Thanks. You can follow me and my time capsule on social media, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And you can listen to the theme tune written by the wonderfully named Pass the Peas music anytime you want on Spotify for free. This was a cast-off production. The producer was John Fenton Stevens. Okay, next week is our birthday. Hooray! And as always, we won't be making much of a fuss about it. Hang on, I'll just check to see how the rehearsals are going. Yep, very low-key. And I'm delighted to tell you that our special guest will be available on the day apparently so that's something to look forward to we also have some special episodes featuring actual listeners yes real people unlike the pampered spoiled or spoiled depending on which you prefer ask ben aronovich from episode 180 cosseted so-called celebrities that normally force their way onto my podcast oh no actually they usually turn out to be completely normal don't they and just like everyone else oh well Wouldn't it be ironic if our listener guests are the most lovey bunch of narcissists you've ever heard? Mm, I doubt it. But it makes it worth a listen, doesn't it? Bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit